welcome to the True Talk Cafe podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited you're here. Our podcast will tackle a myriad of topics ranging from relationships to personal development and everything in between. My name is Renee Stewart, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Anna Garcia, Carla DeCore, and Lali Ramirez-Bennett. Collectively, we span four generations. Can you believe that? We've all experienced ups and downs in our personal lives and professional careers that have qualified us to share our unique perspectives with you, and we're excited to do so. But before we get into today's content, I wanted to let you know where you can find us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, you can use at True Talk Cafe. And on Twitter, you can use at True Talk Cafe One. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and leave a review. We value your feedback. We want to ensure that we are providing content that resonates with you. So please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. Spoiler alert, you will want to stay tuned to hear what our guests are going to share about this exciting topic today. Also, stick around to find out how you can join us on a live show. We would love to have you join us on one of our episodes. Now, let's get started. As a business or HR leader, you've probably noticed that upscaling and rescaling are getting a lot of traction lately. Skills have emerged as a key area of focus for 2023. So in today's episode, we're calling Upskilling, Rescaling, and Preparing for the Future. We will discuss how future-fitting your workforce can enable your organization to develop the skills needed to remain competitive. So on to Carla. All right. Well, to lead into our topic today, we're going to be speaking about reskilling and upskilling. So while there is some correlation between the two approaches, Upskilling differs from reskilling in that it doesn't seek to move someone into a new role. Upskilling enhances an employee's existing abilities by teaching them new tricks of the trade. There are a few positions that are being directly impacted by some of these changes, such as web developers, marketers, analysts, and the list goes on. In contrast, reskilling prepares current workers for different roles. The positions they've been doing for several years may be on their way out. So reskilling your workforce can help you remotivate the staff and invest in them while saving the cost of hiring new staff. Both are effective strategies for employers to combat what is expected to become a perennial skill shortage. As our conversation continues, we'll explore why upskilling and reskilling are now more critical than ever. To add to this discussion, we have invited an expert that is very familiar with this topic that will share his expertise and experience with us. We have Jay Clancy. He is an expert in personal and organizational learning. As a business owner, organizational learning consultant, and university professor, Jay has over 30 years of experience designing and facilitating organizational learning in a variety of industries internationally. Jay has led numerous teams in creating a full range of learning solutions from minor interventions to strategic enterprise-wide programs. He is an adjunct professor for the University of Houston and has served on the boards for University of Houston, Warren County Junior College, and Houston chapters of ATD, ISPI, and IAL. Jay has a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in training and development. Welcome, Jay. We're so glad that you're able to join us today to share your thoughts and experience. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the show. 
Great. So we are going to have some questions for you today. And, you know, please, please do share some of that expertise, you know, holding today. And of course, as you know, right now, it's a very prominent time to discuss these things because of everything that's happening in the organizational climate and different industries. So one of the best ways to utilize reskilling and upskilling in your organization is providing employees with structured career pathing. Can you explain what career pathing is and how employers can use this framework? Yeah. Well, I think career pathing is really exciting and I've seen a lot of people using it these days. When I think about career pathing, I think about giving the employees a choice of where they're going to go with their career, but at the same time, provide a map to them so that they can see what their options are. So imagine you get hired into a company and they put you into a job and then you just do your job and you kind of stay there and And you might ask around for where I can go from that. And maybe you run into a mentor or something that helps you out. But otherwise, most employees that I've talked to really don't know where to go. Well, career pathing is the company being deliberate about helping to set out those pathways for their employees. A, they can see what they can do in their career to progress. And B, even make some choices themselves on where they want to go with their own career. I'm not sure how, how, how detailed you want me to get into that, but we can, you know, we can, of course, go on and on. Absolutely. When employees kind of come in, they're, you know, at their highest level of engagement, right? And as you said, they get into a role and then a couple of years down the road, they're looking like, hey, what's my next move? And they're relying mostly on their managers, Right. And they're like, hey, my manager should be developing me, which is true, but it is a partnership as well. What do you think about that, Jay? Well, and frequently what we find is that managers aren't very well prepared even to do that. I'm sure you guys have seen in your careers how, how infrequently managers don't get the training that they need. And then they also aren't necessarily very well connected to the HR function. So they might not even know what the career pathing is. I think it's really important for people in in our functions, in the HRM and the HRD functions, to help chart out what those pathways are, even for the manager, so the managers can explain. Absolutely, I, I you know, I worked in a corporate in corporate America for over twenty eight years, and I do recall that most of me understanding career mapping was on my own. I had to take yeah. that ownership, and it was very few people that could guide you. And a lot of times individuals get siloed into an organization or a department. You know, corporations have a vast number of internal groups, organizations, departments, everything. So a lot of people get in that zone and upskilling doesn't really happen beyond that. So when you think about career pathing, what do you think about that? When people are in an organization, what type of things should they be doing or exercises should they be doing to understand full scope of where they're current trajectory could take on. I think that's a really great point, Anna, because I think about, you know, okay, you get a job and it may or may not be a great fit for you. Sometimes you just had to get a job, but you end up in that job and maybe you like the company a lot, but the job itself may not fit you. I've even seen that with my own kids. Got into a great company, job didn't fit them. So because the job didn't fit them, they ended up having to lead the company. Well, I mean, we obviously don't want that. And if we find somebody who's a good worker, but we, but maybe they could find themselves doing, being more successful in a different part of the company, 
helping them provide ways that they can move into those different and try different things and, and use different skills, we might find that they have a whole different set of potential that could benefit our organization that we hadn't even thought of and that even they hadn't thought of. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I would agree with that. At my company, I require our management team to develop our people and they have to, everyone has to have an individual development plan. And it has to go out once, three, five years. Initially, when I came to the company, they did not have that. So at least, you know, when people come in, they know at least they're going to have a five-year plan, whatever that is. And I double-check it. Every performance, that's it, the cycle, mid-year and end-of-year, I check because I have, I'm the one that has to hold them accountable. Otherwise, they'll rubber stamp it. Right. That's great. I imagine to set that up, you probably had a lot of background talks, even even figure out what those pathways to go on those individual development plans. Because, you know, like you said, not only do they rubber stamp it, they might just throw something together because they don't know what the right five-year plan is for an employee. It's hard to chart out what somebody's career path should be even over five years. And a lot of times, like you said, the managers are educated enough to start having those conversations. And what would you say for like smaller companies where there isn't a lot of options for people to develop new skill sets or to create a talent pathway? What advice would you give to those employees that work for the smaller companies, a lot of government entities? I know I work for one and that's typically a, a, a challenge or even nonprofits. That's really a great question, Carla. And that hits me home because I had my own company for 22 years and it was really hard for us to keep employees because I, my company is really small. We, we got up to 15 people and it's hard to, you know, the, especially younger people, they want to see where they're going to grow. And if I hadn't done a good job thinking through what I was going to do with them over time, you know, we, of course I wanted them to grow, but I hadn't thought it through. And so I had a really hard time keeping employees. They get to a certain point, usually right about when they're useful to me. (laughs) And then, you know, they find another job and move on. I think it's most important for small companies because we are more at risk for people moving on. Now, the good thing is, and, and I know from the position that I had when I had my own company, is the good thing is, if you have your own company, you have a much better view of where you think you're going and where where you're going to need people. So being able to put together career paths while your options might be smaller, you should be able to have a more strategic view. And I think that's the strategic view is the important part of career pathing, right? We need to look ahead at where our company is going to go and think what skills and what competencies are we, are we going to need to fill over that time. And then... That's how we can start talking to people about what kind of skills we're going to need them to have. So, they can. so if for smaller companies, now mine was you know, 15 people. So if we're talking companies that might be, you know, like you were saying, maybe in the three or 400 range, again, you're struggling with, there's not a whole lot of movement. And at some point you can only have managers. But I would still really think about Number one, strategically, what your growth goals are and what kind of competencies you're going to need for that. And then think, you're, you're probably going to need to think out of the box a little bit and think, okay, maybe growth doesn't necessarily mean management, which is a big mistake a lot of people make. 
but maybe there's also some technical growth that we can give people, maybe projects. Innovation is really key. So giving them projects where they can start figuring, you know, where our company should go and what kind of skills we need in the future. It's going to take more creativity, but the advantage is since you have a, hopefully a, a smaller company has a better strategic view of where it go, I think you can use that advantage to, to your advantage. Yeah, that kind of segues into like our second question, which is, you know, like many managers, they believe talent walks out the door because of money, which is, although, you know, they're not necessarily wrong about that. Low pay isn't the only contributing factor, though. People, you know, leave managers, they don't leave companies. A lack of career growth is one of the main drivers of turnover in organizations, regardless of industry. You know, so my question as we're talking about is, what would be some of the benefits of upskilling and or reskilling current employees? First, I'll say I definitely do like the money. So, (laughs) you know, I can I can identify with that part as well. But I know that especially for younger generations, especially for those generations, they're saying that they'd rather move up and have career opportunities, even possibly taking lower paying jobs, not much lower. I mean, you can't Upskilling and reskilling isn't going to replace decent salary. So if your way, if your salary structure isn't competitive, you're not going to make up for that. You you might make up for it a little bit, but people have to feed their families. But, but that being said, I think there's, especially with younger generations, there's lots of opportunities to, to make your employee value proposition way stronger by having that upskilling, reskilling. And the thing is, it's a win-win, right? Because you need employees with more skills. It just takes that extra step of trying to figure out what those skills are and then having conversations with your employees about what those skills should be and what they should develop. And you've created another branch of your EVP without even adding to your, you know, without even adding to your cost structure. Yeah, just, you know, when you're doing your succession plan, Part of that is doing a skills gap analysis. You know, a lot of people skip that step, including my company, you know, and I'm trying to get something like like that in there because it really helps to determine what current skill sets that you have. And then as the goals trickle down from the CEO from year to year based off of his plan for the company, then you can take a look to see like, do we have those skills currently or do we need to upskill or reskill some people? Because maybe you have a riff coming, right? So you're going to get rid of, say, 10% of your people. Now you've got to reskill some people that are more tenured, right? And shift them into other positions just to keep them because they were tenured, right? And they're good at what they do or you need to upskill because we don't really have enough people to handle that work that's coming our way. And on top of that, think about today's business environment, right? All the change that's coming down with things like digitization and workforces that are aging out in many cases. There's so many places where change is going to be hitting us if we're not on top of the upskilling and reskilling life, the, 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 the business environment is going to pass us by and companies are going to find themselves left out. And I particularly like, Renee, that you were talking about the idea of succession planning. How many companies forget about that altogether and then they find themselves, 
scrambling where they might have had plenty of talent. They might have had plenty of bench strength ready to go if they would have planned ahead a little bit, given their employees some path, some career pathways like we were talking about Mm -hmm. before. If they would have thought four or five years out for when their succession planning was going to start becoming relevant to them, they could have had a solid bench of leaders ready to take over. The other thing is to benefit from the the workers who are retiring. Well, if we think five years out, we can use them as mentors and and have them leave that legacy, which a lot of people when they're retiring want to leave that legacy. Succession planning and career pathing lets you do that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's not even that expensive. I mean, it, yes, it takes time. But even going back to Carla's question earlier about smaller companies, I mean, small companies, the advantage is you should know what your bench strength is. I mean, you know the people in your organization. So you should have a really good idea of where your bench strength is for future years. And also, if you're looking at, you know, your your strategic planning, the reason that's hard for me to say too, if you're looking at your strategic planning and, and what markets you want to move into or what challenges or threats you're seeing coming, that's where you really start should start looking at, well, what do I have? What are my what are our skills and where do we need to grow? I think digi- the digital, the whole digital transformation that's happening in business right now would be a great example of that. If you're not upskilling and reskilling your employees for digital, for the, the digital realities that are going to be hitting us, you're going to find yourself left behind. Yeah. And you know, okay, one other thing occurs to me on that. One of the big fears of a lot of employees is that they're going to be replaced by things like robots and AI. You know, back in my day, we were all going to be replaced by robots and then happen. And now we're all going to be replaced by AI. And the thing is, well, the jobs were. Now we all learn new skills. But the jobs were replaced by robots and, and AI, and we need to help our workforce be ready for the kind of jobs that they're going to do so they can still contribute in a world where it, we are using AI and we are using robot technology. So, I mean, no matter what your business in, if you're not upskilling and reskilling, you're going to find yourself behind. To that point, let's get into that. You know, so how can organizations create effective upskilling and reskilling programs? I know that there are different strategies and organizations can definitely become more agile and professionally and, and setting themselves up for more opportunities. But how, how can they get started if, if there is a company that they just don't know where to start? That's a great question. The problem is I see a lot of people either avoid doing it altogether or in my experience in the training and development world, I see a lot of people thinking that they can just do it themselves and on a low budget and throw it together. And it usually ends up being, I'd hate to say it, but like a waste of money, right? They spend money on something that just doesn't work. And then as a consultant, by the time I get pulled in, it's already, they've already kind of done all the damage. So I'm, I think we all know that. And that's why we have HRM and HRD, right? That's We're here to help them with that. I think the starting place is to think about things like strategy. You have to have a really good idea of, of where your company is, what the environment you're playing in, what kind of things, like a SWOT analysis, what kind of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, what kind of things are going to be hitting you, where you think you're going to want to go. 
you know, what your products are, what your competitors are, new product areas you're going to go into. And then the next thing you need to start thinking about is competencies. And competencies is one of those words that kind of scares people because I've seen people way overdo competencies. You know, I've, I've seen them thousands and thousands of competencies. Like, who's going to manage that? Nobody. So to think about your, what your competencies are reasonably, and when you're thinking about competencies, it's not just the job description. It's not just the technical competencies. It's not just the task list that you do every day. We've got to be thinking broadly about what's going to make people successful and what's going to make the company successful. And we need to be thinking about that holistically, right? Because if, we, if we've got a strategy to go in a certain direction and we know we, there's a set of skills that it's going to need to have, we're going to need to have to do that. They're going to not just be technical skills. They're going to be commercial skills, leadership skills, communication skills, a whole range of things that we're going to need to think about to make this company successful. And then we need to step back and take an honest look and say, well, do we have that? And one of the nice things about career pathing is well, we might actually find out that we have it in places that we never knew it was there. You might have people in your technical workforce that actually have pretty solid commercial skills if someone would just help them find them and develop them, right? And, and vice versa. We might see people in, you know, maybe sales or whatever who have great digital skills who might be able to bring them. So the great thing about career pathing and involving your employees in that career pathing is that they can possibly help you fill in those gaps in your competencies that you have without you having to go find other people. So I would say, you know, first strategy, then it's competencies. Then I think the next thing is to really involve your workforce in that. I'm really big on when you're working with people, involvement is key. Nobody likes to be, nobody likes to be changed. We all I think we all recognize that change is important, but we don't want to inflict it on us, right? So if we can go out and involve people, I think we'll find sources of competency out in the workforce that, that we didn't know about. I love that you said that, Jay. One, because I've always said it's not a company that actually changes. It's the workforce that adjusts to the changes. Yeah. So they're the ones that drive the change that the organization envisions. And if we don't prepare the individuals to adapt to those changes and apply them correctly, then we were only doing ourselves a disservice as a whole. So I think that is a very important thing. Upskilling and reskilling are essential parts of any business ability to continue and forward, especially when it's ever changing. Digital tape, now I can't say it, the digital really did absolutely impact a lot of that, but there's so much more to that. Companies, I mean, look at the pandemic. Whenever we had to adjust to a virtual world, many companies did it on a dime and they were ready to go, even though they had never utilized those. Yep. They just knew it was coming. They had prepared for it. They had studied, they had research. And yes, they had some expenses that came from it, but then at the end, what happened? They were able to continue moving business as usual, operating on a new level. A lot of those that were not able to adapt failed and they're yep. no longer here today or they had to let people go. So I do think that that was an effective process, right? And it was also very eye-opening to those who are not 
prepared because then they were scrambling to change things. And the business, I mean, if you think about it, large companies, one day of business loss is huge. Not even thousands. Mm -hmm. It could be millions of easily. So very, very important to understand them and preparing your workforce because the workforce is the one that actually makes that organizational change happen. It's not what the organization desires. Without the people, there's no change. So I love that you said that because I do feel that's very important. And it's a topic that I could go on and on forever, but I'll shut up now so that my colleague can say something. I think you made a really good point, Anna. And I think two two things on that. One, for some reason, I think people think that the organization is something different than the people mm -hmm. in it. <laughs> you know, right. but if you think about it, you can't change an organization without, I mean, the people are the organization. So I think right. that's a really good point. And the other thing I think that I was thinking about when you were saying that is not only does the providing the chances for upskilling and reskilling help the, the organization, but I think the employees benefit a lot from it too, from the standpoint of the challenges you were talking about, like the pandemic, or think about the, the digitization or all the other challenges that, I mean, people are reading the news, right? And they know that there's change coming and, and we're all scared, right? We don't, we don't talk about it on podcasts and stuff, but you know, kind of terrified of what's going to happen in the future. You know, I asked it as an aside, I asked chat GPT if it was going to take over, take over the universe. And it said, no, we're going to be collaborating with humans because isn't that exactly what you'd say if you're going to take over? The <laughs> That's true. I'm just thinking. I that tell my kids all the time. It's going to tell my kids all the time. So yeah. Good at the, it, it's not our friend, but anyway, I digress. But you know, people are reading the news, the news and they're, and we're all, afraid of what's going to happen in the future, providing your employees opportunities to grow into the new roles and giving them guidance for how that's going to fit into new business models is going to help them feel like they have more control. It's going to empower them to feel like they have some control in this crazy new environment that we're in. Yeah. So I think that it's a win-win. Absolutely. And, you know, employees need to we were talking about it earlier before we came on, where employees need to understand that their education goes with them. If I'm always a proponent of, if there's free training, take it. You may not yes. be using that information now, but you can take that with you, you know, if you go somewhere else or if a job comes up later, you already have the education, you know, and sometimes... Yeah. Some employees, they take the posture of, well, I'm not doing that training unless they pay me. But it's like, you're going to be right. the one that's going to be, you know, part of the riff, <laughs> you know, because, reduction yeah. in force. <laughs> you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting debate, especially, you know, in, in, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk, especially in the last few years during COVID and such about the employer-employee relationship and who owes who what and things like that. And, you know, of course, one of the big things we always talk about is whose responsibility is it to learn? And you hear a lot of that from employees that the employees should, the employer should pay. It's an interesting, it's, I don't, I, I'm not going to venture what the right answer is. I, I'm a big believer that I have to take responsibility for my own learning. Mm -hmm. I can kind of see their point, but it, it's tricky. I, it, and I would say if any students are out there listening or any employees, I mean, man, take advantage of all the learning they'll give you, whether you're paid or not, because one, you're going to be a 
a bigger bonus to your organization. And plus it gives you visibility if you're in all those trainings yeah. and do it, do it on your own time, do it for free. And, and if you do have to leave, those skills go with you, like you said, Renee. Yeah, we're all about creating value for yourself because those are the employees that are retained in those tough times. Yeah. Yep. Carla, do you have yep. anything to add? Yeah. So let me just share to that point. That is one of the reasons why I'm the, in the position that I'm in now, because I always learn. So I'm one of the few people within my institution that knows a little bit about everything, because every time there was an opportunity for me to participate in a committee or anything, I wanted to be a part of it. Yes, it was extra work. Yes, it required me to work on weekends sometimes because I didn't get a chance to do my actual work during the week. But it did allow me to learn different things. So now when an opportunity came up, I was the logical, I guess, person to step in for that role because I had the knowledge. So I do encourage people to definitely take it up on themselves to always learn. And one thing my mom always told me, she's like, even if you have to go do it for free, go do it. Like, don't say no unless you really have to, but go learn. She's like, that is the main thing. And that's what her mom told her, you know, go learn. Because it is about learning. We volunteer. I know Renee and I have spent plenty of hours volunteering in different places, but it, gets, it has given us opportunities to learn about different things, to meet a lot of great people. It's just really how you, how you want to develop yourself. And it, it takes different forms on how you learn. It doesn't have to be a training. One thing I wanted to... And people see ask, it. People see I wanted it. to make a quick point earlier. Sorry. Something you said earlier about keeping employees involved in the decisions that are made about career pathing. I think that's hugely important, mainly because there are opportunities that are out there that you may think as a leader that this is a great opportunity for a person because you've seen the skill sets in them. I had that opportunity happen to me recently where I had an opportunity to create a director position for someone, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking this person wouldn't want it. And I thought about thought through the whole position presented it to them and I'm like okay you're ready for this and that person was not ready for that position that is not what they wanted to do and it was a shocker to me but I should have known better I should have known to involve them from the beginning and find out if that is the pathway they wanted to take I just assumed that based on their skill sets and strengths this is the pathway they wanted to take but it wasn't so it's so important that we do involve them in, in their own career pathway, right? We, I should have known that, but happy. <laughs> it's a great point, though. Yeah. It's also great leadership to admit, oh, maybe I should have taken a little more, you know, time. With On that note, guys, I think that all the, the questions that we asked today perfectly address some of the things that a lot of individuals are working through right now. I absolutely believe in investing in oneself and I could be the poster child for whole career paths change. You know, after I got laid off, I went into a completely different field. And I'll be very honest, I was approached. I didn't have to apply for the job. I got the job based on just everything that I did, working with ladies like Renee and Carla, volunteering out there, upskilling, learning new skills, completely unrelated to the professional work that I've done for 28 years. And for a person to say that, because all I ever had was that one job since high school for 28 years and be able to just completely shift careers and took me seven days to get a new job is awesome. You know, when I never had to apply for it. And I think it is because of all the effort and investment that I gave in upskilling, reskilling and using those skills 
in different, you know, opportunities and using those skills on different platforms, volunteering, giving back, free time that I was giving away that I now I get to charge for, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that all of these things are very important, not only for the organizations, corporations, small companies, large companies to understand, but us as individuals. And something that we were talking about earlier was when Renee mentioned a lot of women and a lot of people of color will not do that, will not invest in themselves, will not invest in their growth because we have our kids, we have our family responsibilities. My kid really wants to do that, you know, versus me spending $500 on myself. I'm going to spend $500 on my son or my daughter. But you know what? It's okay to be selfish from time to time as a mother as a woman, as a professional, or as a father, because there are a lot of single fathers that would do that as well. So I think it's very important to understand that whatever you invest in yourself today is going to have a great ROI on your entire family tomorrow. So with that said, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. And I have a few statistics because we always like to talk about some of the statistics that we need to be aware of when we think about these topics. So the coronavirus pandemic led to a reworking of the economy, unlike any other since World War II, according to the Wall Street Journal. Guys, do you hear that? Since World War II, this shift requires an innovative response from HR professionals in business, nonprofits, government, and education. As a result, 58% of the workforce needs new skills sets to do their jobs. 83% of industry association economists say employers and their sectors are finding it more difficult to fill jobs than they did five years ago, which means there's opportunity out there for us. 55% of employees struggle to find and share organizational knowledge, and 61% are not satisfied with the company's workplace technologies. So we do need to be aware and invest with the engagement of individuals from the get-go. Approximately 53% of college graduates are unemployed or working in the job that does not require a bachelor's degree. As a result, HR will need to change substantially in its accountability over the next 12 to 18 months. No pressure, guys. 12 to 18 months. We got it. That's right, Carla. Yeah, so in summary, you know, employers just need to find innovative ways to address the skill sets deficit issue. So new approaches could include previously underexplored options, such as focusing on skills, sharing knowledge, offering apprenticeships. I've seen actually some grants on that lately. Partnering with schools. These strategies may offer avenues to success today while readying you for the future or, or helping your staff be ready for the future. So it is time to, to do something, I think. Absolutely. So, you know what, in closing, we want to thank you once again to our to our guest, Jake Lancy, the information that you shared with us was priceless. I mean, great value there for our listeners. And we want to say thank it you to our listeners. You guys. I know. It was fun you guys made a really great point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> group. Absolutely. Just want to kind of button this thing up with just talking about skill building. It's always been important. You know, but recent events are raising the stakes. We're now in what's often called the fourth industrial revolution. We can all probably say, yeah, you know, AI has done that. So at a time which advances in AI and automation are revolutionizing the way we work, AI upskilling 
builds future-ready businesses and employees. Furthermore, almost every business will in the future become an AI business in some way. So, you know, it's that's that future fitting right there. I'm looking at it from an HR perspective. We're trying to come up with policies around AI because that's going to be an issue for us. <laughs> so, you know, I myself, I'm trying to get educated on it right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about my students uh, turning in papers written by ChatGPT, but I'm wondering if maybe I write my tests in ChatGPT and then we just, you know. Yeah, it's an option. <laughs> None of us even have to show up to class. That's right. I mean, I did, I'm doing a proposal for a coaching program and I got it right out of ChatGPT right there. Yeah. I mean, it's saving me a lot of time as, you know, one man show, you know, as far as HR. So with that said, <laughs> we hope you learned something new and or came away with something of value on this topic. You can follow our guest, Jay Clancy on, Jay, you're on LinkedIn, correct? Yep. So they yep. can find you at, at Jay Clancy. Yep. Okay. Are you on any other social media platforms? Yes. I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. Okay. And it's, it's at Jay Clancy with some stuff behind it. I'm not. Okay. We'll make sure that we put it in the show notes so that they can yeah. connect with you. So as promised, here's how to join us as an audience member on the next show episode. We hope you're just as excited as we are. Go to our True Talk Cafe Facebook page and send us a request, <clears throat> excuse me, to attend season two, episode eight as an audience member. Be sure to use the hashtag TTC. S-2-E-P-8. Again, that's T-T-C, S as in Sam, 2-E-P as in Paul, 8. We will respond with, to your requests with our podcast website link, where you'll need to enter your preferred email address for us to send the audience link to. We'll also send all audience members a reminder the day before the show recording. It's going to be so much fun to have you join us live. As always, we welcome your feedback, so please let us know your thoughts about today's show. Leave a comment or review. We will respond to all comments, so please be nice. We'd love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. Please do not forget to like and rate the episode. We appreciate you turning into our podcast, and we hope you join the TTC Crew Facebook page. Again, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook using at True Talk Cafe, and on Twitter, you use at True Talk Cafe 1. Please use the hashtag TTC Talks or True Talk Tuesdays. Recommendations for discussion topics are always welcome. We want to ensure we are providing content that is of value to you. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us on our next podcast episode. It's sure to be an engaging conversation. Talk soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.